0: Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown,
1: Robert Puckett,
0: Molly Keck, and Janet Hurley. This episode of Unwanted Guests, we are talking back So if you are in Texas, especially my neck of the woods in Austin, you know that we do have bats and people get quite excited and people actually travel to Austin to see the bat. We are going to be talking about one first, starting off. What type of bats do we have in Texas and are they native to the area? So the most
2: frequent bat we see is either the Mexican free tail or the Brazilian free tail, depending on where you're from in the country of what you call it. Most of us in Texas refer to it as the Mexican free tail, mostly because...
0: So wait, those are the same bat? Mexican free tail and
2: Brazilian free tail are the same bat.
0: Okay, all right.
2: They're called different common names, mostly because of where they travel from. So they migrate? They migrate from... The Mexican one typically migrates from Mexico, northern Mexico, kind of following the Monarch Trail and does the same thing and can migrate all the way up into the northern continent, meaning Wisconsin, and then come back down. There are 32 other bats that also live in Texas. And when you say native, yes, they're native, but... The migration and what they're following has changed based on habitats, locations, food, and everything. But the one that most people, especially the folks in Austin and San Antonio, and even in Houston College Station, I tell everything, anybody from I-20 South in the state of Texas more than likely will encounter a bat at least a Mexican free tail. As you move forward in the state moving north, it all depends, but as you move north, there are different bats. So for instance, up in the Panhandle in West Texas, there are species of the hoary bat, the cave myotis, and a couple of other species, where in deep East Texas, it's the pipistrels and the evening bats, which are smaller. And the reason I'm bringing all of this up is either bats live in small family colonies, mom and pups, and maybe a male, whereas the free tails, um, the brown bats, and even the myotis, they live in larger colonies. And especially the free tails, they like a colony of 1,000 to 100,000.
0: Do the free tails always migrate or are there some colonies like that one in Austin that is there year round?
2: So it all depends on location. And what has become interesting, especially now that I stop and think about it, over the last 20 years, it was rare colonies that did not migrate. And now it's becoming more common, and it has to do with building structure. So for instance, and let me just pick on the alma mater, Kyle Field, prior to it being remodeled in College Station did have a large colony of bats, and they did migrate, but some would stay over winter because there was enough warmth for them. Houston has places. While Congress Avenue, some of those bats actually migrate, there are others that are in the region that are better sheltered that don't migrate.
0: I'm trying to think of the bat colony that we have five minutes from my house, and I don't think that they migrate. I think that they're there year-round. That was the one
2: I was thinking of. <laughs> that bridge. Yeah. That, that that's the one, except for I've been kind of curious because that area, you know, the redoing the interstate. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that they're disrupting some of that. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Right. In the couple of well, years. they're still
0: they still fly out, but the, the problem is sometimes they fly out in a different way yeah. now that there's the messed up mm-hmm. thing, which in my opinion, I mean, this may be just because, hey, I'm a, I'm a local girl. I mm-hmm. think it's a better place to see the bats come out than the Congress Bridge, personally, because it's, one, more regular. I mean, you can go to the Congress Bridge, and you don't know if they're going to be coming out or not. Really? It just it really depends. I've been down there before and taken people to see it, and it was very disappointing because nothing Happened. well and it's because
2: the congress avenue bridge that problem with that it's over water and a lot of air whereas it's mcneil bridge it's over concrete now what is interesting and and we might as well go ahead and bring it up is the interesting thing is in that colony you are likely to see some of the bats that have rabies mm-hmm. really And it's only because, again, the colony's intact. And even though it's one half of one percent, it's going to happen. And it's just easier to see because they'll just come down and hang out on the the ledge of the the road.
0: Mm -hmm. Is it more likely that you would see it because of, one, where they're located and they're really easy to see? Or, I mean, it's not that they're more prevalent to have rabies than other colonies it's just that you're
2: it's location
0: yeah I was going to say I mean it's right there
2: (laughs) it's right there I've been to the Frio Bat Cave out there uh, by Uvalde and again because they come out of a cave and you can't get that close you're not going to see it as much as the cave that you're getting to see at the bridge is exposed, so to speak. So that's, it has to do more with where you're at. So no. Visibility. Rabies and bats, like I said, one half or 1%. We just tell people, just don't pick them up with your bare hands. Mm
0: -hmm. Does rabies affect bats like it does other things where they will die? Yes. And they do show. And they get, they want to bite and go look for water and stuff. Yep.
2: Oh, and audible it's no different in a bat than it is in a skunk. The irony is, is people associate rabies with raccoons and skunks and not with bats.
0: Bats are mammals, for those of you that may not know. Yes. (laughs) I just put that out there.
2: Good, but good point. And I mean, and it's one of the mammals that it is a good carrier. And like I said, everybody When you see them, and I can't remember who I was talking to. Oh, I had a school district that's been having problems with bats. And he said, you know, not for nothing. He goes, they are kind of cute. And I was like, well, yeah, they do look like little chihuahuas with wings. Oh, and their (laughs) little
0: pug noses. I mean, they
2: are adorable. I mean, I know rehabbers, but again, every rehabber that even has rabies vaccines wears gloves. Mm -hmm.
0: And these are not just random people that are doing this. These are trained people specifically for bat rehabilitation.
1: Yes. And probably not with just random gloves too. What's the recommendation on gloves? Leather. Okay.
2: Leather, gloves. leather gloves. So the teeth can't get through.
1: Yeah. No, no latex gloves?
2: or No um, latex. No. Really shouldn't have cloth. I mean, every good human should have a good pair of good long leather gloves. They're like my lifeblood at the house.
0: So when are bats typically active? You said that they migrate. When are people more likely to see them? And I'm sure, you know, Texas is a huge state. So in the valley, it's going to be sooner than in the panhandle. And it's going to depend on species. But for the most part, what seasons would people be more likely to see them?
2: It's that season of when you as entomologists start talking about things like fire ants and bees. It's the same for bats they come out when it is warm. What is interesting is in Texas, and we've all experienced it, we can have a real mild winter, it can warm up to the 70s, 80s, and be mild during the night. So this is this is what's critical. Those bats start to wake up, they don't hibernate, they go into what's called torpor, which is just slowing down their respiratory rate. But what happens is, is if It warms up to 70 to 80 degrees, and it's like that for a couple of days. Well, they're kind of like bears. They wake up and go, hey, I'm hungry. And what's also out there at the same time, at that same temperature rate, are things that fly. Grasshoppers, moss, Mm -hmm. um, beetles, anything that is out flying is dinner for bats, And what happens is, especially between January and I'd say late March, is because our weather is so variable, sometimes bats will go out and fly and then we'll have one of our spring storms or we'll have one of those freezes where one day it was 80 and the next day it's 30. They get caught in part of that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we'll see them out, grounded, because... They were out caught when the weather changed, hmm. but they like warm weather. They, and Mexican freetails, they really like it warm because that's part of their roosting behavior is they like it hot and moist.
1: i would not thought of this before, but I, you know, like I've seen bats in the spring and the fall, right. Where we've got temperatures that are warming up to 75 during the day. It never really occurred to me, you know, they, because as the temp falls in the evening after they've come out of their roost. It's falling for the insects too, and it eventually drops below their physiological sort of flight threshold, right? So the insects can't fly. So I'm sure they got to do a lot of work really quickly as those nights come on, right?
2: Yep, and that's why they 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 are biologically equipped to just shut down. Uh,
0: So you mentioned that they are eating insects. Not all bats eat insects. Is that correct?
2: Well, that is correct. I mean, the majority of them- Do they
0: all eat insects, but then they also incorporate other things into their diet, or are there others that feed on just- So there's insectivores,
2: which are 100% insect eaters. And FYI, for those of you that have pools, because a lot of people, this freaks them out, is bats drink on the fly. And what I mean by that is Bats are not like birds who land on a bird bath and dunk their head in and do whatever. Bats have got to swoop to get their food and to get their water. So they literally will go into a pool and grab water and fly off.
0: Is the chlorine going to do anything to them?
2: No, they're fine with, they just want water, you know, when they need it. But As far as other bats, now there are flower feeding bats and one of those, which is the Mexican long nose and the Mexican long tongue, there's two, but both of those bats actually pollinate the agave plant and we all like the agave plant because of tequila.
0: So when you say that they feed on the plant, I'm assuming they're nectar feeders. They're nectar feeders. I
2: mean, there is a great image from Merlin Tuttle, who was the father of bat. Knowledge of shooting a bat in a a side view of the plant, literally going in. But when we were talking, when we talk bees, you know, they
0: and when you say shooting, this is not with a gun. This is with a camera. Camera.
2: Yes. So sorry. So sorry, y'all. Just,
0: just wanted to be clear.
2: But getting the image of the side of the the plant with the bat going in and its entire snout covered in pollen. And when I see it with a bee, and then I see it with a bat and I'm like, wow.
0: Bats can be beneficial. Like those that feed on nectar, they're beneficial when they are pollinating plants. But we also have the insectivorous bats that you were mentioning, and they are going to eat insects. The question that I always get, or that I'm often told is that the mosquito population is going to be taken care of by the bats because the bats are going to eat mosquitoes. Could you please weigh in on that because I go crazy.
2: I'm happy to because I'm going to bust a lot of myths. Bats are not mosquito eaters for one reason and one reason only.
0: You just blew everybody's mind. I know.
2: Bats fly in upwards of 7,000 to 10,000 feet in the air where do mosquitoes hover? Because last I checked, I'm not even six foot. Okay. (laughs) So I mean, there are some bats that will live near water and eat some of those mosquitoes, but that's not, I tell everybody that's even worse than eating salad for dinner. There's not
0: enough. That would be like having a small piece of spinach for dinner. Or arugula <laughs>
2: or one of those weird, you know, things. But yeah. but no, y'all, I just I'm like, no, they like they like their crickets. They like their grass. They like a little meat with potato. <laughs> yeah, it's a potato.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of work for not a lot of food. But no. Yeah. Think about the size of mosquito and how much would be there. But if you have like a big juicy cricket or grasshoppers, awesome. which one would you choose if you were a bat? I always tell that to people and they just look at me like, huh?
2: No, I mean, it's one of the biggest myths that we, we, we really have to bust is they're not mosquito eaters.
1: Now I'm curious. So what, what are they chasing up at 7,000 feet? And I mean, I know there's a lot of sort of what we refer to as aerial plankton, but I don't think of those as small insects.
2: I'm going to tell our listeners to go YouTube billion dollar bats and Not far from where Dr. Puckett office is over at USDA because coddling moth, um, gypsy, you name, I mean, there are so many moths Got it. and what they really do. And if you really watch them and you watch how they migrate, think combines and wheat crops and how they also migrate north. They follow, they follow the food. Mm Mm-hmm. And so as yeah. things are being kicked up and stuff during the day, those bugs are out there, moths. I mean, they're not big butterfly eaters, but by gosh, they do like their moths.
1: Moths and mayflies yep. and big swarming and stuff big, yeah. The <laughs> big
2: ones. Ones that have a little chunk to them.
0: When is breeding season for bats and are there regulations that have... Any protections that are to protect bat populations?
2: Depends on the state. Now, this is a real interesting thing because in certain states, there are regulations that bats cannot be moved during maternity season. Texas doesn't have that, but I definitely tell people, I said, you know, because they're so beneficial, there are things you need to be aware of. So starting in about May and going to August is generally what they refer to as maternity season. And what that means is the moms have their pups and generally it's a single pup. And when they're rearing them, the pups don't fly. So mom has to go out again to get all that energy to bring the food back, feed the pup, and then probably go back out again one more time during the night so again that may to august we tell folks if they're in we we discourage y'all to do major exclusion and eviction unless it's a health hazard but this is the time of the year march april early may watch because you'll be able to see where the bats are coming in and where the bats are leaving and they make the same staining marks as rats do, that black goo that we talked about.
0: How do you tell the difference between rat grease marks and bat grease marks? Can you tell the difference? Yes. Other than seeing...
2: You're going to see the grease marks, but what you'll also see, because of the way they have to land on a surface and then crawl up into their hole, their excrement, guano, is extremely distinctive. One, it has a very pungent urine odor. I mean, it's got a lot of ammonia in it. It's going to look a little bit kind of, it's going to be a cross between burp, bird poop and possibly maybe it might look like a little like rodent droppings, but not because you're going to see the fragments of bugs in their, their feces. But generally, it just looks like a mound of ew on the side of a building and down on the, on the ground.
0: So if you are someone who's putting up a bat house, I'm talking to peeps in my part of the world, cause I know people do it, don't put it on your house.
2: Well, I mean, if you don't mind doing that, I mean, I have neighbors that try that as well. And the, the thing of it is, is if you've got a white house that might not look so good, if you've got a big tree and it's kind of blocking it, but really what we say is do it like a purple Martin, Martin house truthfully there are some agricultural producers that literally only use bats and purple martins as part of their pest control but they put them up on 25 foot poles and they space them enough apart that the birds and the bats do their thing during the day you know looking for what they need to do but that way they also I mean I don't know if anybody remember but when the University of Florida's bat condominium crashed because it had too much guano in it, that stuff gets kind of heavy.
0: So you mentioned that bats can carry rabies, but it is a very small percentage of the colony. Are there any other diseases that bats are capable of transmitting to humans or companion animals? No.
2: Now, there are some parasites that go with bats. So I know we did a, an episode on bed bugs but the original theory was bed bugs came from bat bugs because those bugs go and feed on the bats and we're living in caves but as far as we know right now our the most prevalent thing that they will carry or transmit is rabies Not heard of anything, but like I said, the secondary of either having some mites and or bat bugs because they've infested, you've cleaned out the bats out of your attic and those two particular species don't have anything. But, you know, again, we would tell you the same thing as if you were cleaning out a nest of whatever. Rodents, birds. Pest management professionals should take all that stuff away or use some type of desiccant dust or something. But I mean, no, they're they're more beneficial than they are harmful.
0: What should people do if they find a bat on the ground?
2: If it's no one has touched it, no one. No dog, no small child, nobody. If you've got your good gardening leather gloves that you know you prune the rose bushes with, you can pick up the bat, put it on a tree or somewhere where it's up at least six feet. It, most of us have those fun trash cans that the, the city leaves for us. That's a good enough height. Reason being is this, especially Mexican free tails, if you see a, a bird, let's pick on a sparrow. When they're on the ground, they can open their wings and the wind will pick them up Mexican free tail bats cannot do that they need to drop from something to get the wind under their wings so that they can fly think um, paraglider now if someone has been exposed to the bat you need to call your local animal control that's the first phone call
0: When you say no one has touched it, that is without leather gloves. So, I mean, we're telling you to move it with leather gloves, but if someone has touched it with their bare hand.
2: I mean, if your kids come running in and they've got the bat in their hands, look, mom, this is what we found. Grab the bat with with a towel. I mean, if you've got nothing else handy, put it in something, move it into a Ziploc bag, then call your animal control. And from there, they're going to take the bat get it tested. And then hopefully if the bat didn't have rabies, you won't have to go through that. But I mean, yeah, if they pick up the bat and they take the bat to the lab for testing and they find out that it does have rabies, then you have protocol taking the bat and just releasing it because the kids brought it to you and you thought it was cool. Please don't.
0: And this is for human safety purposes that we are telling you to do this. So if someone finds that they have bats in their house, they see the guano or they see the grease marks or they see bats flying in and out of the structure, what do they do? Who do they call? Who do you contact and what's going to happen?
2: If you contact pest control, some of them may just go, yeah, not my job. (laughs) Some will recommend a wildlife company. And yes, there are people who do nothing but bat exclusion. So here's the thing. There are no chemicals that you can use. It's all about construction. Because basically what you do is if you have bats in an attic, and my experience has been even wider with bats in elementary schools and high schools is... You've got to put up these devices that allow the bats to fly out, but they can't get back in. And then you've got to seal everything up. And then it will all depend how much guano do you have in there. I think of some of the homes that are 60 to 100 years old, that's made out of wood and has got the attic gables and everything else those can be really hard to clean out because of what what's in there. If it's, you know, your modern structure, and you've got flashing around your um, eaves and soffits, it's again, making it so that the bats can fly out, but they can't get back in. It takes time putting those devices. And I recently was turned on to a new bat eviction tube, by a school district that found them on Amazon. And it's made on a 3D printer. Cool. It's a combination of the reverse to what you would put on your, your gutters to push the water away.
0: That makes sense.
2: But the bats can't climb back in it. And that's the thing bats land inside of the structure and crab walk in. And then once they're in, they're flying around everywhere. They'll come out that same hole where they can drop out and get that breeze.
0: If you're excluding bats, would we tell people that they shouldn't do this in that breeding season, that May to August kind of thing because of the babies? Because of the
2: babies. I mean, this is the time that I tell, especially when I'm reaching out to school districts and uh, animal control and those that do those types of inspections, this is the time of year if you see them flying, This is the time to exclude. You're going to have to shut it off right around Memorial Day and you won't be able to pick back up until Labor Day.
0: Is it more of an issue as far as damage? It's not like rodents where they're chewing the structure and doing that sort. It's more of the buildup of the guano and waste material. Yes, yes. Okay. Because the
2: guano, I mean, in and of itself, the guano, I mean, it's a fertilizer mixed correctly, but think of all that urea concentrating and you're breathing it in, your family's breathing it in. And we talk about mold allergens and all that other stuff. I mean, it's just one more thing that can be a trigger if somebody's got an immune system compromised or is asthmatic or anything else that's going on.
0: For cleaning up the guano, we've gotten rid of the bats. They have been. What what happens to the bats? Like when the companies, what like, what do they do with them?
2: Generally, if you do the one way valves correctly, they fly off, and they're going to go try and establish now.
0: So the bats are going to take care of themselves and find someplace. Oh yes,
2: ma'am. The, the,
0: Sweet. The
2: the the thing that we definitely tell, especially if it's a large, a large bat colony. I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands. Generally, one of the things that it may be recommended, so listeners be, be aware, if the company is saying, look, you've got so many bats, we need to put up a bat house, do it. Because the what happens is when the bats leave your property, they can go find your neighbor's property. I'm
0: sure that would make you very popular in the neighborhood. That's not being
2: a good neighbor. <laughs> So, I mean, we generally tell them, I mean, there's been some big jobs where, no, we need to put up a bad house. And people are like, yeah, but that's like five foot by six foot. And we're like, but they need to go somewhere because you don't want them in everybody else's homes or the next building. I mean, there are places, especially I remember down off the coast where buildings had not been utilized and the bats were just free falling in there. And as the contractors were coming in trying to do their construction, that was three-fourths of the problem, getting them out. But we didn't want them moving into the parking structure next door. So, I mean, you got to give them a house to live in as well.
0: Do you have to have any specific protective equipment for cleaning the guano up? I mean, is it just like super stinky or is there concern like with some rodent material that can transmit stuff.
2: I definitely tell people, you know, a nice Tyvek suit and a face mask, just a regular, you know, paint face mask, not your cloth, the one with will do just fine. You'll probably maybe want glasses, goggles, or at least safety glasses only because again, especially if you're in an attic, okay, there's two things up there. There's the guano and then there's the insulation. And depending on what you're dealing with, I mean, if it's blown in insulation, it's one thing. If it's the old fiberglass, you still want the protection just from that. And yeah, you can remove that, but it's, again, it varies by case by case. But the first time I got the phone call, yeah, we have bats in our elementary school. What should we do? I'll never forget hanging up the phone going, I have no idea, but I'll figure it out.
1: Janet, you mentioned, um, the location of colony sites is so important. Um, we, we uh, I just wonder when I was in Huntsville and this was 20 years ago, I lived in Huntsville, Texas. And um, there were a number of buildings in the downtown, old downtown area that weren't being utilized. And so we had a mammologist in the department. We would go out sometimes in the evening just to fool around with it. He had a, a bat locator, you ever seen these devices? So it picks up on their echolocation oh, and you get an yes. awful awesome tone. So it's that's it's great. directional. So you can track them after they've left the building, you know, and follow them through town and all this. But but anyway, yeah, I just wondered if if that was an issue in lots of towns that you know have a, a downtown that's not being utilized any longer, you know, older towns. Well,
2: there there is a town called Mineral Wells.
1: Uh yeah.
2: That the that old abandoned hotel uh-huh. for years has had a colony living there, and I mean, there are days that you can smell the guano as you're coming into town. Yeah, you can hear them. You can hear them chitter. I mean, like I said, depending on what what it is, and when you realize the agricultural. So our old associate department head, Dr. Chris Sansone, was the one that really turned me on to how beneficial they were because he was doing work on what they were actually eating, and it's like, wow. Mm. Hmm. Hug a bat hmm. from a distance.
1: Just to follow up on, on Wizzy's question about the health and safety concerns when it comes to guano, this thought crossed my mind as we were talking. I had an experience with a bat colony one time. You know, these cenotes down in Mexico that you, uh-huh. you, know, you swim in these? Under- well, the one that we, my wife and I went and kids actually went to, it sort of the course through the system ended up in what was like a uh, there was an old well at the top and you were basically in this giant cavern. So bats were coming in and out of the old well and they had filled up this space. They're flying around in Mm there, you know, here come these snorkelers in the dark, you know, and show up in their spot. And it took me about four seconds to think, well, I wonder, (laughs) I know they're dropping guano in this water. And I wonder how uh, problematic that could be for a human, you know, but I guess maybe, maybe you're still here. So, you know, couldn't have been too bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: it's just interesting because, yes, if you go south and it doesn't matter Mexico, Belize, Costa Rica, Panama, all the way south, how much more you see bats and even in the daylight, I mean, they'll just Mm. rest on the side of a tree and you'll see Mm. like six lined up and they're just hanging out. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know how that most people in America feel about, you know, going down the road. Oh, hey, look, there's six bats lined up on a tree. Me, I would, I would stop and take the picture. <laughs> Look how cool this
1: is. I saw flying boxes one time in, in uh, Australia, and that was pretty amazing. I was walking with a group of people. We'd gone to um, an Australian Rules football game, and when we came out, night was coming on. And I was kind of by myself, but in a big group of people walking down these roads, and so the first one I saw, they're so big. I saw it and my eye didn't recognize what I was seeing. I just thought it was a vulture or something that was flying over. And then I saw like three more. And then all of these, you know, coming into these trees that we were walking through. It was pretty amazing. We don't have those here. of. They're,
2: they're very fascinating. And I've been very mm-hmm. blessed to be exposed to some folks that I've seen the flying foxes up close. I've seen some being rehabbed. I mean, it, it's nice to see life in a different dichotomy Mm -hmm. and not always us talking about, oh, everything's got to die because it's an ant and
0: it's in my house.
1: (laughs) Thanks for your expertise.
2: Yes.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Unwanted Guests. I know I learned a ton of stuff about bats. So thank you, Janet, for sharing your information. If you need more information, I would say go to extensionentomology.tamu.edu, but that's not going to have anything on bats. So maybe, I don't know, bat conservation? Bat
2: conservation. Okay, we do have a Bats in Schools website that has got a lot of good information. I know we did recently do a press release on bats, but bat conservation is probably your best go-to website.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.